Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Matthew chapter number 5, starting with verse number 9. Starting and ending, I might say. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Again, very simply tonight, my subject matter is peacemakers. Peacemakers. Let's pray together if the Lord would touch our hearts and minds afresh this evening. Father, we come to you tonight. God, we're grateful, Lord Jesus, for your people. God, that have come to the house of the Lord. God, they've come to center themselves, Lord, around your word. And I pray, oh, Lord God, that word would find, Lord Jesus, a place, God, in our life. It needs a place in our life. I pray, oh, Lord, that it would help us, it would direct us, it would guide us. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, that word which is you. I pray, oh, Lord, tonight enlighten our minds. God, as we travel along this road, Lord Jesus, of the seventh beatitude, Lord, that it would say something to our individual lives and we'll be thankful for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated uh, this evening. Just kind of hit something off this evening. Um, Being a peacemaker is not that every time you see someone having an argument or a fight that you jump in the middle of it and say, okay, come on, guys. All right. Just, just, Just to clear up any false idea there, being a peacemaker isn't just about stepping into every difficulty that may be perceived or may be real and just trying to take care of matters. Uh, although we are a world, whenever, and it's not necessarily uh, going to Congress and saying let's end all the war uh, that's taking place. For that matter, uh, you would be, have a great responsibility because uh, for most of the history of uh, our United States, we've been in war, sadly enough. As a matter of fact, Will and Edriel uh, Ariel Durant, they wrote a book called The Lessons in History, and they began a chapter on history and war, and they noted that war is one of the constants of history, and it has not diminished with civilization and democracy for some time. They said that in the last 3,421 years of recorded history, that only 268 have seen no war. So there is a big upheaval in our world, nation, politically, even in the church for that matter. There is constantly this war that is going about. One writer had said one time, was uh, quoted as saying, peace is merely that brief, glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload their weapons. And uh, that isn't really peace. That's not really peace. Uh, if they were laid their weapons down, that might be something what you would call a truce. But usually with a truce, nothing is necessarily resolved and there's just been a mutual agreement to disengage. There's not necessarily peace. It might just be a truce. But whenever real peace is brought, when real peace is brought, uh, the truth is really known. The issue, you might say, is, is settled. And there is ultimately some harmony that is gained as a result of having true peace. 
peace, a lot of times we talk about peace, we would start to find, well, peace is that that's the absence of war, or that's the absence of conflict, or that's the absence of fighting. That's the way in which some people define peace. It's the absence of something, but just as much as someone may define that as the absence of something, peace is also very much so the presence of something. The presence of something. As a matter of fact, in the Jewish uh, traditions, uh, that whenever uh, Jewish men and women would uh, come and they would meet one another and greet one another, they would all times use that word shalom, which means peace. And uh, shalom, though, whenever they speak that, it is not an interpretation that means that may you have no wars or may you have no conflict or may you have no battles. That's, that's, not spoke, that's not what's interpreted and spoken when they speak shalom or when they speak peace. But what it's interpreted is this, is that where they speak that to one of their comrades in passing, that it means that they desire for them to have all the righteousness that God can give. That they could have all the righteousness that God can give. All the goodness that God can give. The highest good, you might even say, that God could give whenever they said shalom or peace. And I believe that the Lord, uh, even in the scripture of the Beatitudes, is speaking to us of being peacemakers and the peace that he is speaking of. Again, I don't believe is necessarily just being absent of something, but being filled with something. That uh, his greatest righteousness, his greatest good and goodness that God can have, uh, that we could have. So we understand them plainly tonight that peace isn't just necessarily, as some would view it, the absence of conflict. As much as it is the presence of righteousness that causes people, uh, communities, uh, governments, uh, nations to be in right relationships. A righteousness that causes people to be in right relationships. In the classic Greek in the New Testament scripture, a peacemaker was an ambassador sent to entreat for peace and though was sometimes used to describe a strong ruler who established peace by force. Established peace by force. So many times we understand that our way to peace oftentimes is through struggle. Many times a way to peace is through War. We have talked about from Old Testament Scripture, people sometimes look down their nose at David sometimes because David is characterized as a bloody man. He is a man that had fought many battles in his lifetime. And they take his life and then they contrast it with his son's life, Solomon. And Solomon's name alone means peace. And uh, the Bible portrays him as a man of peace. And his reign was during a time of peace. However, we must understand that the peace that Solomon, David's son, enjoyed resulted from the various, if you will, battles and conflicts of his father's generation. Because of the fighting, because of the wars, because of the battles of his father's generation allowed his son then to rule in an air of peace. So to say peace is no war, peace is not fighting, peace is not battle, I believe is somewhat incorrect. Many times peace is the result of a battle. Peace is the result of a struggle. Peace is the result of a conflict. And so that happened in many cases. Their struggle and the result from it would be peace. Peace. 
So scripture tells us, said, blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't say peace keepers. We're not necessarily just to hold ourselves from a spirit of war or a spirit of strife, but we are to be peacemakers. We must have efforts to make peace. The word make in the term peacemakers comes from a very strong Greek verb that means to do, to make. In other words, peace must by all means be made. It never happens by chance. It's not like you just sit back and kick up your feet and all this is just going to settle down and pass on by sooner or later. No. Peace must be made. So then the question that I pose to us tonight is how can we become, if blessed are the peacemakers, how can we become a peacemaker? And for that matter, I ask myself the question, what example do I have to follow to be able to pattern myself in such a way that I could be denoted as a peacemaker? I believe we can go to the Old Testament and walk through the New Testament. If we go to the Old Testament tonight, the writer Isaiah was writing of a child to be born who would be Jesus Christ about 700 years before he was ever born. And he said in Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The child that was to be born, this Jesus Christ, was to be the Prince of Peace. As a matter of fact, when that child was born in the humble manger in Bethlehem, there was an angel and then a host of angels that came to some shepherds out watching their flocks and it declared and they said unto them in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. This child was born into the earth and now they're proclaiming on earth peace because the prince of peace had been born into the world. Paul even wrote, I got several scriptures tonight, so bear with me, but Paul even wrote in Romans 5 and verse number 1, we're trying to learn how we can be peacemakers and who to pattern ourselves after. Paul wrote, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe it's important to denote this evening that the only way that we can truly have peace of God is to have peace with God. Amen. Is to have peace with God. So it is our objective, as I said tonight, and we're not coming out here and we're, we're not trying to make peace between people and hold people back. And, but what we are trying to do as peacemakers is persuade people to make peace with God. Because if you can get peace with God, you'll have the peace of God and you'll be more likely to have peace than with each other. Amen. You need the Prince of Peace in order to have true peace. That peace that passes all understanding, Scripture says, that keeps your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.20, a lot of Scripture. So we, the Bible says we have peace with God through 
Lord Je- through our Lord Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.20 speaks to us, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. Speaking of this Lord Jesus Christ, we have this peace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, but look at it now. This Lord Jesus Christ made peace. How was this peace made? That's what we're looking at, peacemakers. How was this peace made? Having made peace through the blood of the cross. By him to reconcile all things to himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So we have peace with God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, peace could only be made at the cost of blood on a cross. Mm -hmm. Only by blood on a cross. How is that so, Brother McGee? Because God is intolerant of sin. He's not, it separates people from God. It happened in the garden. Wasn't too pleased about that. Sin goes against the very nature of God. And so he has to do something about it. There has to be judgment as a result of sin. God doesn't like sin. So there has to be a judgment of God that has to fall. His anger, if you will, has to be satisfied. God's anger has to be satisfied. Why? Because he has righteousness to protect. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. He's a sanctified God. He's set apart. He's different. He's unique than another. And so these things have to be dealt with. And in order for them to be dealt with, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we're piecing all these verses together here tonight, that Jesus, who basically knew no sin, was made to be sin. He knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us. And he, along with the handwritings of the ordinances that were written against us, the Bible says, were nailed to the cross. And when crown of thorns were placed upon his hand, his head, and he was pierced in his side, and there were nails that went through his hands and his feet, and all of that was taking place because something had to be judged for the sin that was in the world. So God sent forth his own son. And judgment fell upon him at the cross. And blood was shed. And if I may say tonight, through the shedding of the blood and through the conflict, might I say, of the cross, peace was made. This story alone of Jesus Christ tells me that peace many times is made through conflict. Blood's being shed there. Judgment is falling there. But the end result is peace is made through the blood of the cross. Amen. Not only was peace made, but it made peace, the peace of God, it made that peace of God accessible accessible to you and I. Amen. Amen. We can be at peace with him because of the Lord Jesus Christ, but more particularly because the Lord Jesus Christ suffered judgment on a cruel cross he went through some conflict and struggle and by his blood on that cross peace was made so it does sometimes take struggle to make peace amen war conflict sometimes to make peace so the peace of God was made accessible to us the conflict of the cross amen the conflict of the cross was a protection if you will 
of the righteousness of God because God's righteousness had to stay intact. He couldn't just allow sin to reign. It had to be judged, had to be dealt with. And when it was dealt with, peace was made. Someone say peace was made. So if peace is made through this pattern of a cross, of a death, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way that I can become a peacemaker is emulating him, that act, that deed. We become peacemakers, if you will, by our repentance, which Romans 6 tells us is his death. Amen? By our baptism, which Romans 6 tells us is his burial. By our infilling of the Holy Ghost, which Romans 6 tells us is his resurrection. Because you see the blood in all of that. Uh, old time popular things, where's the blood applied? Is blood applied in baptism? Is it applied when you receive the Holy Ghost? Is it applied when you repent? It's applied in all three areas. If we go to the Old Testament type and shadow of the tabernacle, what happened whenever the priest went to that brazen labor? Am I here? Praise the Lord. Which was typical of our repentance. The animal was slain there. Blood was shed there. But they took a portion of that blood and now went to the brazen laver, which was a, a, a type and a shadow of New Testament baptism. And they took the blood in the water and they mixed it and washed. The blood was there at baptism. But they took the blood also beyond the holies of holies to the holiest of holies where the ark of God was. And they're sprinkling the blood upon the mercy seat, upon the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God is. So it was a conflict of a cross or it was a dying, if you will, a judgment of something that brought blood at the brazen altar, blood at the brazen labor, blood at the Ark of the Covenant, blood all throughout that. And it's the blood that makes the peace. And to be a peacemaker, then I accept the blood in my repentance, I accept the blood in my baptism, and I accept the blood of my infilling of the Holy Ghost. And by that I am made a peacemaker. All right. I know this is a little bit deeper water maybe than what we normally go through, but you'll make it. We'll make it. Now, I appreciate that. So we're a peacemaker because we've emulated Jesus Christ through whom which we receive the peace of God because by his shed blood at the cross, peace was made. So we emulate that. We're peacemakers now because we emulate that life. We emulate that process, not in the literal as he did, but in the figurative in our own lives. And now consider this. Now that we are peacemakers, how and where, here we go, listen now, how and where should we allow this peace of God to operate in our lives? How should that peace operate? Where should that peace operate? The Bible says in Colossians 3 and verse number 15. Let me walk through this verse slowly. I want you to weigh every word. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To the which also ye are called in one body. And be thankful. He says and everybody say let. Let. 
and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So the scripture is emphasizing to me that we control whether or not we will allow the rule of the peace of God in our lives by that word let. He's admonishing us to do it. It's almost borderline command telling us to, but he still uses the word let to emphasize as though its allowance or not really still stays within our court. It's like, you know, someone telling you, you know, you probably really should do this, but you know it's your own business. <laughs> what are you doing? They're really persuading you one way, but they're, they're trying to, you know. So, so he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. See, it's one thing, listen now, it's one thing by the shed blood of the cross, peace is made and we had access to it because of that. It's one thing to have access to the peace of God and then it's another thing for you to allow the peace of God to have access to you. Amen. Particularly, he says, look now, rule in your hearts. That peace of God to rule in your hearts. So the peace of God should rule by us letting it rule. However, the place that it should rule is our heart. Why? Because I believe we discovered this from uh, last week. Remember our pure in heart session? Because that heart is the fountainhead, the chair, the seat, the beginning, the origin of the issues of life. We traveled that road last week. And since that is the place where the issues of life go, if we can get the peace of God to rule there, it's not just ruling a heart, it's ruling a life. And every division and every aspect of life. Now consider the word rule. So I'm a peacemaker and I got this peace. How and why and where should I allow this peace to operate? He said, let it rule. It comes from a Greek word which uh, would be similar to the umpire in a sports game. <laughs> let the peace of God rule. If I could say it like this, let the peace of God rule in your heart like an umpire in your life. Uh-huh. In other words, sometimes the umpire says, you're safe. Sometimes he says, it's in bounds. Other times he says, you're out. Other times he says, it's out of bounds. Sometimes he says, that's a false start. <laughs> sometimes he says, that's offsides. Sometimes he says, that's a foul. So being peacemakers and the peace that we receive from God, allowing it to rule in our hearts, that umpire, that peace of, this is peace doing this. This is peace getting confrontational. Whoa. This is peace getting confrontational. Why would peace get confrontational? Peace gets confrontational whenever it tries to continue to protect God's righteousness. Mm-hmm. Because whenever God was talking about being peacemakers, he was not saying peacemakers at the sacrifice of purity. At the sacrifice of truth. He said, let the peace of God rule in your heart 
and in turn it will rule your life basically you will be a peacemaker so look at everything that's happening in the story of the Bible of Jesus Christ whenever man the cross is there and all these tragic events are happening and taking place Jesus' disciples would remember something that their Lord and Savior said while he was still walking upon the earth in John 14 whenever he spoke to his disciples in John 14 verse 27 he says peace I leave with you I like it he says my peace I give unto you not as the world giveth give I unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid he says I know he told him these words before the cross ever came because he knew whenever cross time came conflict was going to come man they was going to get a little nervous they was going to get a little upset he says but I'm giving you my peace he says, and the only way I can give you my peace is if I make peace. And the only way I can make peace is if I go through what you see I'm going through right now. Amen. I got to go through the conflict. I got to go through the struggle in order to give you peace. And it's a peace that the world doesn't have. It's a peace you can't find in, in, in the Sanhedrin and the peace you can't find in your family. It's a peace that comes from God. It's made by God and it comes from God. So, a peacemaker, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm trying to hurry. I really need to. And a peacemaker endeavors to, no doubt, try to preserve peace where it is, try to restore it where it is not. A peacemaker, I think we need to define a little further. A peacemaker is not an appeaser. All right? Peacemaker is not an appeaser because sometimes appeasements can postpone confrontation but many times never bring lasting peace. It's just ignoring the inevitable. Amen. So peace, though, in reality is, is a matter of adjustment. It's a matter of adjustment. Even so much so, Jesus is really speaking some language here. He said, he said I, I didn't come to send peace on the earth. He said, look at this. I didn't come to send peace on the earth. He said, but a sword. In other words, I didn't come to bring peace at any price, but I brought peace at the price of conflict, at the price of shed blood on a cross, his cross. So peace is, should never, concerning the church, be sought for at the expense of righteousness. Look at verse number 6 of Matthew 5. Listen, remember, these beatitudes are progressive. They build upon one another. They're, they're interchanging. Don't overlook how they build on one another. So look, he says, we're, we're not looking for a peace that is at the expense of righteousness or a peace that negates purity because we've already built that blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. And the beatitude that has just preceded this one that we're talking about tonight uh, is blessed are they which are what? Pure in heart. So we're not looking for a peace that negates purity. There's a reason why he had the pure in heart stated before he started talking about peace. It's blessed are the pure in heart and then blessed are the peacemakers. Purity weighs heavier than your peacefulness. Look, the pure in heart that we studied last week in verse number 7 where it was talking about blessed are the merciful. Remember, the pure in heart kind of wielded on that a little bit. Because we talked about mercy, everybody getting all sloppy, you know, with grace and mercy and getting happy with it. But then he brought in the pure in heart that kind of set the motive straight for mercy. 
So, so, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. It modified what mercy was being spoken of in the previous week. But then he comes in and he qualifies the peace of verse number 9. He qualifies the peace of verse number 9 with what came before it, and that was its purity. Amen. We see this again and again in Scripture. Uh, I know Sister McGee has already uh, touched on this in her holiness Bible study as far as uh, this Scripture in particular of Hebrews 12, 14. The Bible says follow peace. Everybody say peace with all men. Everybody say and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Holiness is, you know, he said, be ye holy for I am holy. It's a distinction. It's a separation. It's a set-apartness. It's sanctification. All right? He said, but you're going to follow peace with all men, but not just peace alone. Because some would try to follow with peace by sacrificing that peace on the altar of impurity. Whatever goes. That's not peace. He said, peace, everybody say, and, and holiness. In other words, make peace at all costs, yes. But except when it requires you to sacrifice truth or purity or principle on the altar of peace. Amen. He's told us in Romans 12, verse 18, he said, if it be possible as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. I liked what I read of the old Puritan concerning this verse. The old Puritan Thomas Watson, he wrote something that he said, though we may be, though we must be peaceable, he said, yet are we bid to, in Jude 3, to contend for the faith. He said, we must not be so in love with the golden crown of peace as to pluck off the jewels of truth. Rather let peace go than truth. He said the martyrs would have rather lost their lives than let go of truth. So peace is secondary to purity. It's blessed are the pure in heart, then it is blessed are the peacemakers. From our study in James, remember the long, long journey of James. James, you remember that? Remember in James 3.17 where he spoke about the wisdom that is from above, it's first pure, and then it is peaceable. Amen. First pure and then peaceable. So we, we can't, peace must not be bought with the sale of truth. I say it like that. Peace can't be bought with the sale of truth. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. Amen. Peace can't be bought with the sale of truth. David said, a lot of scripture I know, Psalms 85 and verse 10. He said, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness and peace Go together. We cannot have one without the other. Peace was made by the blood of the cross because the righteousness of God necessitated that it must be protected. Amen. It must be defended. It must be fought for. And so where there is real peace, there is Righteousness tonight. Second Timothy, another scripture, Second Timothy 2 and verse 22. The Bible says, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, follow righteousness. Follow peace. 
with them that call on the Lord. Look at this. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. When you follow the Lord with a pure heart, with them, pure heart, you will attempt to follow peace and righteousness. Righteousness. So again, real peace. There's righteousness there. Yeah, there may be conflict that turns into the peace. And the conflict might be a result of someone protecting righteousness. The conflict might be a result of someone protecting the holiness. The, the, and I'm not talking about dress. I'm talking about the, the, the set-apartness, the holiness of God. And it might come as a result as, as someone protecting the purity. But whenever you truly protect those things that cannot be wavered on, the end result is peace. And if you'll notice, ladies and gentlemen, the next beatitude that we'll get to a few weeks from now, because there's a few Wednesdays going to be between here and there. So we might have to start all over so everybody's going to forgot. I was actually talking to my wife somewhere along the way, and I thought, man, I was hoping it would just end just about right, and then we could start, but it didn't. So here we are. But if you'll notice the next beatitude, it underscores a little bit of what I'm talking about tonight. Look, it says, blessed are they which are persecuted. We're talking about peace, and now next week we'll start talking about persecution. <laughs> kind of diabolical, isn't it? It said, now blessed are, are, are they which are persecuted. But look, for what? Righteousness' sake. Persecution comes because peace finds its roots in righteousness and purity. Did you hear what I said? I said persecution comes because peace finds its roots in righteousness and purity. So in essence, this evening, Jesus Christ, denoted in Scripture as the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. He made peace, or was, if you will, a peacemaker. As we learned in scripture by the blood of his cross. And scripture says we are blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. We are called the children of God when we are peacemakers scripture says. And when you make peace like Jesus made peace. When you make peace like Jesus made peace and when you follow the same pattern for making peace like he followed the pattern for making peace, when you then at that moment in time you're recognized as children of God. Why? Because the only son, the only child God ever had was Jesus. Amen. The only son God ever had was Jesus and he's the only child that he ever had that made peace. So it seems right then to call others who would make the peace as his son made the peace to be called, recognized, if you will, or designated as peacemakers. The word called here seems to mean acknowledged as. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be acknowledged as the children of God. Amen. God shall own them as his own children because his own child was a peacemaker. And if they follow the same pattern, he says, I'll call you my children because there's only one child that's ever made peace. 
And that's, that's Jesus Christ. And so if you've emulated him, then I'll call you my own. If you emulate him, I'll call you my children. I, I officially designate you and acknowledge you as the children of God. The Bible says, and I'm closing, if you'll stand, Galatians 4, 6. The Bible says, and because ye are sons, might I even just gather in their children. Because ye are sons or children, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The indwelling of the spirit of Christ enabled us to say, Abba, Father. Peace hasn't been made until you have made peace with God. Peace has not been made until you make peace with God. And you make peace with God by following the same pattern that Jesus did. Amen. Peace was with God. You have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that peace was made by the blood that was from his cross. And so we walk the same pattern, which is what we've been trying to do through these Beatitudes, is walk that same pattern and get to a place where that, that, that spirit of the God dwells inside of us, that we have the mode of repentance, and that blood is at all those several areas. And he says, wait one moment. I acknowledge this one right here by emulating that same pattern and path as a child of God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they have that endorsement. They have that designation. In other words, you can't be called a peacemaker until you follow the pattern that Jesus followed. You can't be a child of God unless you follow the pattern that Jesus followed. Because that's where and how peace was made. And to keep it active, we must allow it to work, the peace of God, where rule as the umpire, the umpire rather, <laughs> in our lives. This is out of bounds. This is in bounds. This is right. This is wrong. Let's bow our heads today in this place. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. I pray, oh God, move up on our hearts and our minds. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.